morning. Welcome to the Lunch Break Bible Study. 20 minutes so that you can be in the Word, even if the only time you have today is just your lunch break. Continuing in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus calls his disciples together in chapter 6, verse 30, and they tell him everything that they had done and taught after he had sent them out. Because that's what apostle means. It is sent one. And then in verse 31, because so many people were coming and going that the disciples couldn't even get a chance to eat. Because remember in Mark's gospel, the crowd is always pressing around Jesus. They're always on the move, always on the go. Jesus says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away and they go to, and and this is our first little translation thing I want to talk to you about today. So the NIV calls this a quiet place. So if you're using uh, a different version, if you're using the King James Bible, uh, you're going to have it translated as a, as a desert place. And the ESV, which is kind of based on that, is going to call it a desolate place. And what all three of these translations are doing, they're translating the same word in Greek. It's eremos. Um, it's translated wilderness when John the baptizer is there in, in the NIV. But here it's translated as quiet. And so just to start off today, we're just going to talk a little bit about the task of translation. This is going to come up a couple of times in the next few lessons. Uh, the difficulty of translating from from Greek to English. And the reason I'm talking about this is I had a question about this come up in a Bible study this week that I was uh, doing in my church. And what's happening is is they're all translating this word eremos, and they are trying to give a sense of why this word is in particular in this place. Uh, What are they emphasizing, the translator? What are they trying to emphasize about this word here? The King James and the ESV want to emphasize the barrenness of where Jesus is taking them. Because what's happening here is they're setting up the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with just a few loaves and and a couple of fish. And they want to highlight that idea that where they're going, there's nothing there. So it's not like Jesus was able to sort of have them forage around or, or get some food for somewhere else. The idea is that they are they are really in a in a lonely place where there's nothing available. Um, the NIV, on the other hand, is emphasizing the emptiness of where Jesus is. The idea that Jesus is having this compassion on his disciples and wants them to go to some place where they can get some, some rest and some peace. So this word eremos in Greek has, you can imagine, has kind of both of these connotations. You don't know which one really uh, is the intention of of, uh, of Mark to emphasize because it can mean both of these things, an empty place, uh, a barren place, a quiet place. So it, the, the, the big thing here is, is that, well, who's right in this case? I'm going to side with the ESV and King James versions because it's a, it's a little focused on what's about to happen, not necessarily on what's happening in that moment. But that's just a little glimpse into the difficulty of translating languages. It's rarely simple, and every translation that your translators do it requires the person who's doing the work to kind of interpret what's happening in the text and, and to give those kind of clues to people in, in English. But at any rate, so that's kind of a little bit of an aside, and, and I don't like to start podcasts with an aside like that, but it was just kind of an interesting thing that I ran into when I was doing this study. 
Many who saw Jesus and the disciples leaving, it says they recognized them and they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed, so they're, they're sailing, so the people recognize that Jesus is on a boat and going somewhere, and they say, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to meet him wherever he's headed. So they, you can imagine they're sort of watching him on the lake, and they're sort of running around the coast trying to keep up with him and, and see where he's headed and, and kind of head him off at the pass, as they say in the old westerns. So in, in verse 34, Jesus lands, and he sees a large crowd there, and it says he has compassion on them. So compassion uh, in English is a word that, that captures, I think, pretty well um, the, the meaning of the Greek. Um, so you see that C-O-M, that com, at the beginning of passion. So that's a, the same root as you find in words like community and communion. So it's this idea of a commonness, uh, a, a oneness, a sharing. And then you also have this word passion, which we think of uh, in terms of often in terms of love or extreme emotion, uh, like a crime of passion, or they are passionately in love with one another. But the word originally means uh, suffering. So when you remember the movie "The Passion of the Christ" comes out, and people are kind of puzzled at that at that title. Well, church people are not puzzled at the title because passion means suffering. So when it says he had compassion on them, it means he had, he suffered with them, right? Their suffering is, was, was his. And that's, that's kind of a significant thing about Jesus. But what's really interesting, what's really interesting to me is this next phrase. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began teaching them many things. Okay, there's two points I want to make about this. First is related to that word compassion I said a second ago, and then the second one is a, is a reach back into the Old Testament. So, like I said, Jesus is suffering with the people. He has compassion on them. Have you ever seen those old Snickers commercials where you have someone and uh, they, they get hungry, and then because they're hungry, they get grumpy and moody, and then someone says, hey, uh, you're not yourself when you're hungry, and they hand them a Snickers bar, and it's packed with peanuts and whatever, and, and the person eats a little something, and, and they get a little, their blood sugar gets up a little bit, and they feel a lot better, and they're nice, and they're kind again. And the tagline, like I said, was, you're not yourself when you're hungry. And I would say that they've almost got it right, but I say they have it kind of backwards. I would say that we're absolutely more ourselves when we're hungry, right? So, so the rudeness the anger, the bitterness, this all comes to the forefront when we are in need about anything. So your true self comes out when you are in need. But look at what Jesus is. He is in need. He hasn't eaten either. But what is the true self that emerges in Jesus? Not bitterness, rudeness, but love and kindness. So Jesus's true self is different from our own true selves, isn't it? So that's the first point I wanted to make. Jesus has compassion on them. His true self is exposed when he is in need. But then it says this, and, and this is the big one, okay, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, like sheep without a shepherd. And in this moment, Mark is making very clear what he is trying to say when he tells this story of Jesus about to feed the 5,000. So, 
going to take you back in your Bibles. If you want to look it up, you can look it up here. We're going to go back to Numbers chapter 27. And in Numbers chapter 27, the Lord is telling Moses that you are not going to go into the promised land. If you remember from your Sunday school lessons or reading the Bible yourself, you'll remember that Moses was not allowed to finish the pilgrimage out of Egypt. He brought them to the promised land the first time. The people of Israel were afraid. They didn't want to cross in. They were they didn't trust God. So God says, I'm going to bring you out into the wilderness and we're going to wander for 40 years. And I'm going to teach you to trust me in everything. And the next generation of Israelites, the ones who are born and raised in the wilderness, the ones who know nothing about Egypt, but only know that the manna from heaven comes and that God provides for all their needs in the wilderness, this is the generation that's going to come into the promised land. But Moses doesn't get to lead them there. And the reason is because God told Moses once to go and say a word to a rock and the rock would then split open and a spring would, would flow out of the rock. And Moses goes, and we don't know why his, re- his rationale is for this. I mean, there's some speculations, but Moses goes and he takes his staff and he strikes the rock. And when he strikes the rock, um, then water flows. But God says, you did not obey my word. My word was to speak and it would happen. Because remember, the, the entire point of God leading his people is that it is, it is his word that creates reality, not the force of nature. So, Moses did not obey God there, and God says, for this reason, because you didn't trust my word, you're not going to lead these people into the promised land. And this is what he's telling him in Numbers chapter 27. He says, go up onto the mountain and see that the land I've, I've given the Israelites. And he says, after you've seen it, I'm going to gather you to your people like your brother Aaron was, because Aaron had already died. For when the community rebelled at the waters in the desert of Zin, uh, you disobeyed my command. And Moses said, verse 16, Numbers chapter 27, this is, this is the kicker. May the Lord, the God of the spirits of all mankind, appoint a man over this community to go out and come in before them, one who will lead them out and bring them in. And here it is. So the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. So that's the same phrase that Mark uses when he describes Jesus' feeling when he sees the crowds gathered around. He has compassion on them because they are like what Moses was afraid of. They were like sheep without a shepherd. They had no leadership. They had no profit from God. This is what Moses wanted to avoid. And Jesus sees the state of Israel. And it's not just the the crowd gathered in front of him. It's the entire nation of Israel. It's all of mankind. We were all like sheep without a shepherd. So this is what, and we're still in numbers here. This is what God tells him. He says, take Joshua in verse 18, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, and lay your hand on him. I have, have him stand before Eleazar the priest and the entire assembly and commission him in their presence. And Moses does this. And then Joshua, the son of Nun, who along with Caleb were the two guys who went into the promised land and believed that the, the Lord would be faithful to them and allow them in the original journey, allow them to take this land and the people were afraid. But Joshua and Caleb said, no, we can do this. The Lord is with us. Um, Joshua then takes the mantle of leadership from Moses. And so fast forward into the New Testament, just as Joshua took that mantle of leadership from Moses and brought people to the fulfillment of what God had promised, so also Jesus is taking this mantle of leadership from Moses. 
and bringing not just the people of Israel, not just the crowd there, not just the people at that time, at that place, but all who believe, right? All of us are being led into the promised land of the kingdom of God. And you might even remember this, is that Joshua, the name of the, of the guy in the Old Testament, that's the Hebrew word, Yeshua. In the New Testament, Jesus is very closely related because that's the way that you say Joshua in Greek. So when the Lord commands uh, Mary and Joseph to name the child Jesus, he's using a Greek word, but they understand what it means. It means Joshua. It means the Lord saves. That's what that word means. So it's no coincidence that Jesus' name is Jesus, or in Hebrew, Yeshua, because he is the one who was to come after Moses and fulfill what the original Joshua had just begun to do. So here we are back in Mark chapter 6. And by this time, it's late in the day. So his disciples come to him. He says, this is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. So the disciples are just like, you know, Jesus, you brought us out here. We don't even have, we haven't even had time to eat. Let's get on with the rest that we're supposed to have. They said to Jesus, verse 36, send the people away into the surrounding, into the villages, right? So they're not in in this complete wilderness. They're they're within walking distance of villages and towns because remember, these people have come from all over. They kind of chased him around the lake and they don't assume that the people have nothing. They assume that the people have enough money on them that they could buy bread if they needed to in the surrounding towns and villages. Send the people away. Uh, But verse 37, Jesus says, No, you give them something to eat. They said to him, It would take eight months' wages to buy this entire crowd food. You know, how are we going to spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Now, notice the difference here between Jesus' reaction to the crowd with the disciples' reaction. So Jesus gets off the boat and he sees they need something. And his instinct, because of his true self, is to say, I will provide what they need. The disciples, on the other hand, they look at the crowd and they see that they're in need and they, their true self emerges and they assume that they cannot supply what the crowd needs. Jesus asks them, how, how much food do you have? And they say, five loaves and two fish. And then in verse 39, he says, sit on the grass. So they're out in, so it's not a sandy desert, right? It's, but it is a, it's, it's a field. It's, it's, it's an empty place. And they, in verse 40, they sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties. So again, this is kind of an Old Testament sort of figure of speech here that usually is used when it came to separating armies. So when King David would put people in command of armies, they would he would put them in command of the hundreds and of the fifties. So this was kind of the way that they grouped their military units. Uh, in the Old Testament. But the first time you see this in groups of hundreds and fifties, the first time you ever see this in the Old Testament is when Moses does it because his father-in-law Jethro says, dude, you can't, you can't rule this entire, this entire group. It's just, it's going to wear you out. You, you know, they bring you all their problems and you try to resolve their disputes and the problems between them and you're never going to get anything done. And so Moses separates the families and he says, okay, I'm going to put groups of hundreds and fifties together and then I'm going to appoint a person within those groups to sort of manage the day-to-day stuff. And then the things that they can't figure out, they'll bring to, they'll, they'll bring to me. So again, it's really, it's not super significant the numbers that Jesus gathers them in other than the fact that it is another callback to the language of the Exodus, another callback to Jesus 
being Moses for these people here today. So in verse 41, he takes the five loaves and the two fish, and he looks up to heaven, and he gives thanks, and he breaks the bread. And then he gave the bread to his disciples to set before the people. And he also divided the two fish. So you imagine, like, two fish is not a... <laughs> it's like, I don't know what kind of fish they were using, but I'm, I'm not expecting, you know, uh, whales. <laughs> um which would not have been the case because they would not have eaten whale because whale is unclean. It's a fish without scales on it. So sharks, whales, anything, a catfish, anything that doesn't have scales is, is an unclean animal. So uh, that's a, another aside. So he gave these two fish and these five loaves of bread, and they all eat and are satisfied. They all have enough. And then in verse 43, not only do they have enough for then. Then the disciples go on and pick up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. So we usually uh, take that to mean that there were women and children there. But the, you know, the head count was, to, uh, was, was the men who had eaten. Uh, but everybody ate and were satisfied. They had enough. And not only that, but they had 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish left over. So this is... Uh, an, not a direct link to what Moses did in the wilderness. Um, in the wilderness, you know, you had manna that came from heaven and you didn't collect any leftovers except for the, uh, the day before the Sabbath. Then you collected enough for two days because you couldn't work on the Sabbath. And they didn't have fish in the, in the desert. What did they have? You remember they had quail. So flocks of quail would fly into the camp and, and the people could then capture the quail and, and, and cook and eat those as well. So there was bread and meat in the wilderness. And, and the same thing is here to bread and meat in the wilderness uh, for these people. And uh, 5,000 of them. So a, a, a massive number had eaten. So this episode is Mark's way of letting us know that Jesus is not just a new prophet. Jesus is not just the fulfillment of uh, Davidic line. Jesus is not just the fulfillment of Abraham's stuff. Jesus is the fulfillment also of even Moses, the greatest rescuer who had ever rescued anybody from anything. Jesus is that Joshua. Jesus is that one who was to come. And next time, we'll talk more about that prophecy about the one who is to come. And uh, I don't have time to get into it because, man, this has been the fastest episode I have ever recorded. Super, all in one take, no problems. Uh, Gone 20 minutes already. I didn't think I'd get near this. uh, I I didn't think that this would take 20 minutes just on this one Uh, just on this one thing, but we did have a couple of little asides there. want to give a shout out today to my friend Betty. My friend Betty, who I tried to uh, talk about last week, but when I went to when I went to put this shout out into the into the stream, I lost it somehow. I it, it I deleted it. I think I can't remember. Maybe the program crashed or something, and the and the text that I had saved of my shout out to Betty got lost. So Betty, hi. <laughs> I wanted to come see you last week, and I wasn't able to do it. And I hope to come see you again soon uh, to visit with you and Mark. But Betty always leaves you know likes and comments on my uh, on my on my Facebook uh, posts and she's super friendly and, and, a, and a dear friend of mine and, and I hope to see her very soon. I am also going to give a shout out to my brother, Donald, who uh, loves to listen to this podcast and I have no idea why. I thought, you know, I, you know, I lived with the poor kid for, for 12 years of his life. I can't imagine why he would ever want to hear my voice again, but hi, Donald. Thanks for listening. You, know, you can reach me at lunchbreakbiblestudy at gmail.com if you have any questions or if you have a comment or anything that you'd like to like me to clarify. 
Uh, have hope you have a blessed day.